0: Listening to the Taming Hinges Podcast, conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances Podcast. My name is Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today's topic of discussion is self. I mean, I I talk about self-awareness and mental health here on the podcast. So I think it's about time we get into the conversation of self. And along with self, we have to have the conversation of the word ego or ego. Um, In Latin, ego, E-G-O, means I. And we often talk about how... You know, someone could be egotistical or, you know, someone has a big ego or those types of things. So as always, you know, I like to start with definitions. We'll start with two definitions here real quick. We'll we'll define self. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines self as an individual's typical character or behavior, an individual's temporary behavior or or character, uh, a person in prime condition, the union of elements such as body, emotions, thoughts, and sensations that can constitute the individuality and identity of a person, if we've talked about individuality and identity before, uh, and then also, you know, personal interest or advantage, yeah, it goes on and on and on. We can even get into the pronouns, and you know, that's a touchy subject in today's society, but, you know, uh, those, you know the objective, the adjective of self, uh, having a single character or quality throughout. Um, that's, you know, so some, something can have self in that sense, you know, something could be a color or, you know, a a tone, those types of things. Moving on into ego, which I think is a little bit more of the focus here, because when we talk about self-awareness and we talk about, you know, metaphysics and all of the different mystery schools out there, there's always this conversation about the ego, the ego, the ego, you know, which uh, I always pronounce as ego because I have a little bit of a different background on how I learned about ego. But um, we'll get into that in a bit. So, uh, the biggest word ever used for ego is egotism, and first the definition of ego or ego is the self, especially or as contrasted with another self or the world. So, let let me one more time here: the self, especially as contrasted with another self or the world. So we you know we define self, ego ego is. It's in contrast to, it is the I, it is the individual, it is the identity of the one, the singular, not the plural. And I've talked a lot recently on the podcast about how we as a collective have given rise to the collective, right? And and that's a problem in my eyes. You know, last episode, when I talked about humanity, I talked about I shouldn't say last episode, the episode on humanity, I talk about how we've given our voices to the collective. We've given everything over to the collective, defining who we are as species, who we are as an individual. Everything is based on this idea of the the collective, the the group, the group mentality, the society, those types of things. And we've lost touch with the individual. We've lost touch with ego. Now, you know, there's egotism and that's, it has a negative connotation to it, you know, someone who's being egotistical, those types of things. It's the excessive use of the first person singular personal pronoun or the practice of talking about oneself too much. That's the definition of egotism. It's not the definition of ego. And I, I think a lot of people fall into an unfortunate situation where they think ego's bad, they think the idea of self is bad because we talk about egotism, we talk about someone being egotistical, you know, the the very um, way too bravado type person, the person that talks about themselves all the time, the person that's constantly, you know, hyping themselves up and only is all about themselves. And listen, I get it, you know, you don't want to be that person. No one wants to be that person. It's, we talk about it constantly in today's society about, you know, don't be that person. Don't don't talk about yourself all the time or be selfish all the time. or And to an extent, right? Everything must have balance. That's universal rule. And balance is done by asymmetry. I talked about that before and how the duality is actually triality. So when we, when we talk about that, what is the triality of self? What is I? What is ego? Ego being, you know, from the Latin derivative, it means I. It means self. Well, that is complex, and I've tried to cover multiple different pieces on what makes up self. That being said, to bring it into a little bit of a simpler light, let's start with the idea that self is the triality of you. And that triality is based on two duality. Remember, all tri- all duali- all dualistic, all duality, all those things in metaphysics when we talk about duality, dualism, those things, it's actually triality. It's the two sides to one coin. Well, the two sides to the same coin are the physical, the material world we live in, and the non-physical, the spiritual world we live in. You can call it other, spiritual, whatever you want to call it, side real, things we don't... Know about those types of things. It's it's two. It's material and that the things we can interact with and touch and do in physics and science and all that stuff, and then all the stuff that metaphysics and all that meta sciences and you know extrasensory data and all that stuff. That world. Well, those are the that's the dual. What's the triality? Of it? triality is the mind, and I've talked about this before with you know etheric physics, but specifically with alchemy and the alchemists someone like Paracelsus, um, even Thoth, other writers, um, actually just about every major philosophical writer gets into it at some point, I believe, or at least a piece of it. They talk about the multiple health bodies, really alchemy as a whole talks about the multiple, multiple health bodies where you have the physical health body, your physical form, the world and materium, your cells and all the different pieces, you know, the cardiovascular system, the nervous system, the digestive system, endocrine system, all the different systems of the body, brain and tissue and, you know, nails and hair and skin and eyes and that, that whole body, that's the physical form. That's the the vessel. If you want, if you want to talk about Iamblichus, the vessel of the soul, you know, you want to talk about Eckhart Tolle and how, you know, really this is just a. Like a thing, it's just a you know you. There's this consciousness, and then there's a body, and they're separate and the, the multilistic differentiations. And then you know there's the other, there's the spiritual body, the energetic bodies, and all these other things And most people shy away from those conversations, mostly because we don't understand them, and we have, really haven't spent the time recently in today's modern society, quote unquote modern, to really study it to look at it. And the reason we haven't done that, in my personal opinion, is because there's a bunch of breathy guru douchebags out there who ruined it for everybody. They, they read old metaphysical texts. They didn't understand them. They decided that, oh, no one understands this stuff, so I'm going to come up with my own way of you know, expressing it to others, and I'm going to make money off of it. And I'm not saying you can't do that, but you need to be able to do it accurately and do it specifically and actually have basis of understanding. And most of them did it and didn't. And we, we ended up with a bunch of people that I call breathy guru douchebags who know nothing of what they're talking about and have just spun the real old antiquity, ancient research of the human system in all three of these bodies into bullshit and they sold it to people, you know, the, I'm going to do a seance and roll around in my yard and tell you what your dog is feeling. If you want to pay those people, sure. Go right ahead. I don't really care. You're just, you're just giving money into the world of stupidity. I'm not saying though, at this point, like, I'm not saying someone can't figure out what your dog is feeling or can't do a seance or all of these other extrasensory things. I wholeheartedly believe that, yes, this is all possible, but the practitioners who are taking your money to do these things need to be held in a regard of most of them are lying. Most of them have no idea what they're talking about. And this even gets into yoga practice. Most yogis, okay, quote unquote, yogis are full of shit. I'm sorry I'm calling you out yoga world, but I'm calling you out. And that's what I do. I'm calling you out because you've allowed individuals to create systems that are just BS and you just let it run rampant without calling them out, without stopping them. And you know, the real practitioners out there, the real people have real understanding The people who really understand what it is to be yogic or the practice of yoga, which is one piece of Ayurvedic medicine, one piece of a whole system. Didn't, stop the people from creating these other BS systems and and touting themselves as these great yogi masters. And, you know, no one calls them a guru. What would be considered a guru doesn't call themselves a guru. That's not, if you go back and you look at how this works, that's not a real word for someone. A guru is a derogative term in the ancient texts. You don't want to be a guru. That's a derogative term. You don't want to be that person. That's like what I call, you know, when I say breathy guru douchebags, that idea of guruism is, is not good. It's not necessarily negative, but it's really just not great. It's self-proclaimed. It's egotistical. That's the negative side there. It's this, the selfishness of to be a guru. If others call you a guru, that's a little different. It's it's kind of like in martial arts. I'd be known as a sifu. I gained a certain amount of knowledge. I tested. I achieved a certain level of ranking that allowed me to teach. At one point in time, I had a letter of applications that I could. I had a written form, a little piece of paper that said, "Yeah, this guy's allowed to teach this system and this system and this system," and even that was all political and whatever. Get into it another time, but that was me becoming a Sifu. And in the Japanese side of things, it, you know, it would have been a sensei and there's different names for every the name for instructor or teacher. What I was not was a master because you cannot self-proclaim yourself as a master in the martial systems in the martial arts systems. Really? Martialism is different. I've spoken about that before, but in the martial arts systems, no individual can say, I'm a master of this. That's not what happens. You can say you are a degreed rank of or a Sifu or a sensei. You know, you're an instructor. I was an instructor, you know, to be a Sifu, you must instruct. That is part of the process is to gain a certain ranking of a belt and then to actually teach lower ranks. You know, that would, that's what makes you a Sifu. That's what makes you an instructor. Because that's really what the word means, teacher, essentially. Same thing for sensei. You you can't just be a sensei without teaching. Now, I'm a former Sifu. No one calls me Sifu anymore because I don't teach anymore. It's not what I do. I've attained the rank and ability to do so, but I don't teach, so I'm not really a Sifu anymore. Now that I've gotten that out of the way. Going back to the guru thing, from that aspect, in the martial arts systems, no one calls themselves a master. If you run into someone in a martial arts system who's like, I'm a master of, and no one else calls them a master. They're not a master of shit. You must be ranked as a certain level, attain a certain amount of knowledge, teach enough, and then produce others of such a high ranking that then you must become a master. That was the idea of becoming a master in some cases in you know old chinese literature mastering something which is actually i think it's been more modernized but you know there's the 10,000 hour rule and that that type of stuff so there's these you know systematic ideas of how to become a master the reality though of the martial arts systems was in order to become a master other people claimed that for you. You didn't claim it for yourself. You were proclaimed a master by the group. That was that was the reality of it. So this idea that people called themselves gurus, that's why it has a negative context because no one calls them no one calls themselves a master who really is a master. You must be appointed to be so, to be labeled there as. You know, someone who calls themselves here's a good analogy someone who calls themselves a celebrity nowadays without actually being proclaimed as a celebrity by the masses is not a celebrity of anything. Okay. You can't just be, I can't just be like, I'm a celebrity. I can say that, but it's not true. And it's just an egotistical statement. It's an, it's a, an aphorism of just bad, right? There's a negative, there is an actual negative connotation to that. You don't want to trust these people. They're, they're just so selfish and, and just, there's no, idea of interaction with others because that's what is required to become a master or to, you know, have that quality. So calling out the yoga world, there's this whole idea that they they invented this idea of gurus and really guru is a Western idea. It's not a part of the Eastern teachings, the Ayurvedic teachings. There was no idea of a guru. Again, a guru was a negative connotation of someone who's self-proclaimed and often there was the idea of harems and some bad shit. So cult-like stuff. So the idea of guruness, not good. We allowed that to happen. Okay, well, what else happened? In that, we allowed for people to create a system of known as yoga here in the Western world that has nothing to do with actual yogic practice. Yogic practice as a whole begins with the idea of self-awareness, understanding oneself through breathing and meditation practice. Remember, all meditation is breathing, so really just breathing practice or meditation thereof, interchangeable. And then there is this system of movement, or not even really movement, a system of poses that goes into creating a better health body a better physical form a better physical self that actually transfers over into the world of tai chi because those same positions and poses from the brahmic understandings when we you know when the buddha moved across into china brought along this system and the chinese mind turned it and flowed it because that's what the chinese mind does it gives flow to things and we turned it into the practice of tai chi that's why you find a lot of the tai chi poses are very similar to the yogic poses. They're not different systems. They come from the same basis of these poses that activate acupressure points, open up to different channels of the body from the understanding of the, of the health systems we had back then and still to this day work. I mean we obviously knew what we were talking about because yoga and Tai Chi and all these different health practices of stretching and, and these types of things, do benefit the human system, the human, the physical, material, world body. So, it is a practice of self. That's part of the, you know, it was the Ayurvedic practice of self-physical nature. became That's one piece of the Ayurvedic medicine, just one piece. And we turned it into, in the Western world, this idea of being a yogi, and that has something to do with communing with nature and, and being very, you know, nature-oriented and... Not really. Sorry, it's, it's a, yoga is a Western practice. It's a Western idea. It has, it has ideas and roots from Ayurvedic medicine, Ayurvedic practices that come from, you know, the Indian subcontinent culture and, and that whole idea, and Hindu cultures and... Remember, Hinduism is the way of the Hindu people. That system existed far before yoga. Yoga became popular when people traveled there from the Western world, realized there was some amazing ideas here, and then brought them back and then manipulated the Western mind because they realized that we hadn't, the Western mind at least, hadn't gone to that extent yet. They hadn't gone into the world of metaphysics and studying the, the ethereal body and the, the energy bodies and, you know, we were just physical by form. That's why yoga became so popular as a Western practice because it worked with the physical system. They left out all of the other stuff, the, the breathing, many yoga practitioners, it's getting better. I will say it's getting better. I know I called out yoga practitioners, not all of you. Some of you are great. It's getting better. But if a yoga practitioner doesn't, or a yoga instructor has to say, doesn't teach their practitioners breathing, that's not a full system. And it has nothing to do with the original system because the original system started with breathing before any of the other stuff. You had to learn how to breathe because once you get into these crazy poses, you need to know how to breathe correctly to make it all work. Breathing into the abdominal, breathing into different limbs, and, and re- breathing into the relaxation breaths of really relaxing into the pose, relaxing into the stretch, allowing the stretch to lengthen itself, allowing them the myofascial system time to to get into what's known as a myofascial stretch, which happens anywhere from 60 to 120 seconds after the stretch is initiated. Typically, the average human is somewhere around, I think, 75 to 80 seconds, but really 90 is a good market for, you know, if you want to get into a, a fascial myofascial stretch, about 90 seconds is where you want to hold it. And then after that is an actual myofascial stretch, and that has therapeutic change and therapeutic qualities because we're, Working with the fascial system, which till most recently the Western world didn't even know about, Doctor G M Barto, which is who I studied, gave us a uh, gave us the original understanding of the fascial system that we use in the Western world, or at least are starting to now. And that was thirty some years ago that he started his work. So that's why I call out that, and it's a representation of that idea of of egotism versus ego. Okay. Martial arts systems, yoga systems. If the system was corrupted, I can't blame the practitioners because they didn't know. I'm going to call it out right now. Bikram Yoga. Bikram was a piece of shit. That guy was a piece of shit. He was a guru, he was a self proclaimed creepy harem birthday guru douchebag. That being said, people love Bikram Yoga but they need to get rid of that name because it's associated with an asshole and they need to refresh that, but they can't because he marketed it and he used the Western system of incorporation and all that crap to create that. So yeah, that's, that's the dangerous part of it. What does this have to do with self and ego? Well, when we talk about self, those are good representations to understand that there is a difference between ego, self, I, and the overabundance thereof, you know, the bravado, the, the self-proclaimed guru, the things you want to stay away from. Alan Watts, if you've never listened to Alan Watts, uh, I highly recommend his talks that he's given. And uh, you can find most of this. I'm just going to throw a shameless plug in because I always forget to do it. Please head over to the website, TamingHindrances.com, or the, the home of the podcast, and go to the archive Uh, page. The archive page has most of this stuff in some fashion. Sometimes I forget to put things on there, but generally I try to update as much as possible. We try to update as much as possible and throw things on there that I talk about here on the podcast. And one of those is Alan Watts, and it'll take you to some of his works. Um, And I think the Alan Watts website's on there where you can find, you can just go on YouTube and check for Alan Watts speech. He gave a lot of great talks. And one of the things he's pretty famous for saying is the most egotistical thing you can do is try to eliminate the ego. Try to eliminate self. Try to eliminate I. That's egotistical to do. To try to kill off yourself. That's an egotistical practice. You know, I've said before in this podcast that suicide is a selfish practice. Now, I've said also that there's always a reason. Okay? And go back to the depression episode and the death episode and even the life episode and go through all those. But it is a selfish practice to do that. Now, that being said, it is that way, based on that terminology, of the most egotistical thing you can do is try to eliminate the ego. The most selfish thing you can do is to kill yourself. That is a very selfish act. And I give no connotation to it if it's right or wrong. That is up to the individual to decide. I'm not touting you should go commit suicide. No, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, if you listen to anything I've said, it's the fact that you probably don't have enough information if suicide is your choice. You, you probably haven't been given the faculties or the ability to work out the situation which you're living in and that you haven't been given enough information to define your reality and to build your own identity to have a, enough understanding to say that you've exhaustedly looked at all options. That's usually how I go about that discussion. But this discussion is about self and ego. So let's move on a little bit. So we have the three health bodies. And the going back to the duality and the triality there is, the duality is there's the physical, the me, the material, the I of what we typically refer to as I in the Western world. And sometimes in, in old practice in the, in the Eastern world, there's the physical form. And then we have the other, the spiritual, the energy bodies, the sidereal, the ethereal all of things that we don't really talk about much. And had a very good understanding of it in antiquity. Um, multiple systems of understanding, Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese traditional medicine. Um, Reiki is more modern, but comes from an idea of key practice, which is ancient by nature. Alchemy, um, Paracelsus, and his uh, practice of medicine. Um, all sorts of different Practice the Native American, which is really just Americans because that whole idea of Native, whatever. Um, their practice of, you know, that um, if you go into South America with, you know, the shamans, the um, spiritual leaders of just about any culture. So we had a, a really good understanding of all these things and we've shied away from it over time due to the idea of coming up with things like Christianity and organized religions and saying that all that other stuff was bad and you should really only believe this. I've talked about that before and how I personally feel about that. Make up your own minds. But so you have physical, non-physical, and then you have the triality there is the middle piece. And that's the translation point, which I've talked about before, which is mind. It is the mental space. And the mental space is where we define the idea of self. We define the idea of ego. I, that happens in the mind. That doesn't happen as the body. The body is a collective. The physical human form that we call human, Homo sapiens, the upright walking monkey thing, that is a collective. It's like a coral reef. It You're made up of, I don't even, I think it's trillions, but like just an absurd amount of cells. And they're all doing stuff. And There's bacteria in the gut biome that's doing things cells and bacteria and all sorts of different things collectively living together to make up this human form. And it's all sealed up by, you know, this tissue known as skin, which is really, you know, this giant organ that creates a sheath around everything, creates a, 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 a shell essentially, essentially, which is how Eckhart Tolle really writes about it. It's the, the, this shell um, or iamblichus, this vehicle, if you will. And it is a thing, but it's, it's a collective. It's not one thing you have, again, trillions, just an unfathomable amount of cells. Like the picture if you just filled your body up with grains of sand, how many that would be so many. That's what you are. You're a collective in the physical form. And then the ethereal form, we don't know because we haven't studied it enough. We don't know enough about it. And we have thought processes from antiquity that we've lost um you know i talk about the mystery schools a lot and the reality there is it, we lost all of it we hit it so much we lost it from the priesthoods to the mystery schools themselves to the you know the old boys clubs and just just the terrible idea that is humanity and how we hide things and want to be better than the person next to us so we hold off information and we make them lesser to make us greater we've lost the real information. We, we had it. We spent thousands of years trying to figure out all of these things and then we hid it from ourselves and we're stupid because we forgot where we put it and now we lost it and now we have to relearn it. That's part of the game now. We have to, we have to spend time relearning these things. So, the mind is where we make up the idea of self and ego ego, the I. That's where we define it. it. happens in the mind space. And the mind space is the translation point between all the non-physical and the physical. It's so much so that through the idea of language and definition and those things, we create understanding. And we also do so when we like have mental images and mental clarity and, and you know, creativity and It all has to go through that mind space. It is the translation between between these things. And that being said, that there is this translation point, there are a lot of great tools out there that we don't use. And this is really where I want to get into with this episode is when we talk about self-awareness, when we talk about self, we have to spend time figuring out what that is, learning about it, understanding it, who are you? What are you? And I know, yeah, those are big topics and all you know, stuff, but there's some little, there's some little things in there and there's some tools that we can use to get better understandings and they're usually shunned and they're usually, you know, people are like, ooh, that's woo woo or that's, you know, weird or again, I, I like to take the connotation off of things. So, so there are tools from antiquity, from the ancient times that we still have today that were used to better understand these things. One of those I'm going to start off with, the Zodiac, right? There's two Zodiacs. There's the Eastern Zodiac and the Western Zodiac. I'm going to use the Eastern Zodiac first, but we'll get into the Western Zodiac as just a a defining point here. In the Eastern Zodiac, which isn't as old as everybody thinks it is, but it's pretty old, there is a better system. Because the Eastern Zodiac, you know, when you go to the Chinese restaurant, you know, the old anecdotal idea, and they have the all the animals and the 12 animals on the Zodiac. You know, you were born this year, you're this animal. Well, that comes from a much older system. And it's specifically kind of Taoist by nature, but... I haven't studied the whole history of it long enough. I haven't studied the whole history of it enough to know all the different entwining pieces. But it comes from essentially a much broader way of thinking about things is the best way I can put that, or a Tao, if you will. The Tao Te Ching even gets into it just a tiny bit when it talks about Other, another system of the universe that essentially that's kind of what it is. It's it's a way of understanding the universe. And the Eastern Zodiac is a piece of this whole big, broad topic that comes from the, the I Ching uses it. And uh, if you've never heard of the I Ching, the I Ching, uh, the original I Ching comes from the reading of sticks and, the hexagrams essentially creates these idea of hexagrams and that gets into a whole nother practice. And there's now then they have the coin I Ching. It's really interesting. Go look at it. I might get into it in detail. It's too big to get into in detail in just this episode, but the Eastern Zodiac comes from that because the Eastern Zodiac is pieces of the understanding that is this whole collective. It's just one piece. Remember I talked about yoga is just one piece of Ayurvedic medicine. It's just a physical stretchy bit. I know I'm oversimplifying, but I have a tendency to do that. So the Eastern Zodiac is one piece and we only see one piece of the Eastern Zodiac here in the Western side because no one dives into it much deeper than that because it's just this funny thing we see at Chinese restaurants, right? Well, that's not really true. The Eastern Zodiac provides a wealth of information for someone to think about themselves, not to find themselves by, but to think about themselves using. So, in the Eastern Zodiac, you have an animal by year. Now, also by your birth year, and now remember, they work on the lunar cycle, so it happens somewhere around February when the Lunar New Year happens, that starts the new Zodiac sign, so that's what, one, one, that's what most people get wrong, It's, it's not the Western New Year of December 31st, January 1st, it's the Chinese or the Lunar New Year, which is usually somewhere in February. Towards the end of February is usually when the, the lunar calendar changes over. So there's that. Now that gives you your animal sign. And animal signs have characteristics that's or traits. And then you have your hexagram, which is by year, in that sense. So you could be the mountain hexagram, which is typically that's if you were the youngest child. You would then have the mountain. I believe it's the youngest child has the mountain or fourth child. Again, super complex here, but that gives you your hexagram and that has traits to it. But going back to the Eastern Zodiac, your birth year also is an element. So there's the five element system that gets involved now too. So you could be a dragon, you could be a rat, you could be a snake, you could be a, a ox, a rooster. You could be any one of those, any one of the 12, but every 12 years, coming back to that we get a new element and there's five elements. So even if you are, if you meet someone who's older than you, who's also the same sign as you 12 years and you know, go 12 years forward or 12 years back, that person would share your sign. They don't share your element. You'd have a different element. So There's a whole nother layer of complexity there. We never even think about, never even talk about. You can have a metal ox and a, a, you know, a a wood ox. You can have a water ox. You can have a metal snake. You can have a water snake. You can have all these that you can have a a fire dragon or a, you know, a, a, a wood dragon. There's all these different layers of complexity in here. All we see, unfortunately, in the Western system, and and even just, you know, if you go to like modern China, some people, the younger crowd don't really get into it much, but there's another layer of complexity to that whole idea of the Zodiac. And it goes beyond just the animals. The animals are just a representation of traits, not really star signs because they don't line up that way, but just a representation of traits of people born in certain years. And then you add an element to that. And then you add a hexagram. By were they the first child, the second child, the third child? You know, were they the this or that? There's a an, there's another layer that gets added there when you add in the hexagrams. And then you add in you know, so they have the five element system, the zodiac system, the hexagram system, uh, bagua. That's what I'm thinking. I'm sorry, I've been trying to think of this word the entire time. The bagua, and that's the hexagram system. Um, there's a whole martial arts system based on that known as Bagua. Um, Bagua Jin, I believe is the full name for it. Don't quote me on that one. That one's probably wrong. But, as a side note, martial arts system, very, very interesting, technically detailed, very specific system that really I've seen some people grow from. Fascinating. If you're into martial arts, please go look at Bagua. It's a fascinating system. So, then you add in the Taoist practices and all these other things; it just comes up with this, these just multitude of layers. Now let's let's jump over to the Western zodiac because we don't, you know, we know about those. You know, we have Aries, Pisces, Aquarius, all those things. That system also has a, mal- a a multitude of of depth to what we never get into. Most people just be like, "Oh, I'm an Aries." Okay, well that's great. Or, oh, I'm just a, I'm a Pisces. Okay, well. That is just the face value system that we see a lot. There's more to it. There's more depth than we never get into. You can be. That's that's a sun sign. It, let me let me describe it that way. And I, these are things I want to get into more in later episodes. I'm just kind of giving a, a face value effort here. The Western zodiac system, you know, to the Aries, Pisces, Aquarius. Scorpio, those, those, that system. That's a sun sign. It's one sign of it's so where these things come across is specifically designed in when the zodiac system was created. Where the zodiac system comes from was the sun travels through the signs of the Zodiac. And again, the representation of the, the, the Zodiac symbol doesn't necessarily correspond to what the constellation looks like, but it's, if you took the night sky and you divided it up into 12 pieces, originally it was tw- 10 actually, and then they added, uh, they split one in half and created the 12 system. But, or I'm sorry, it was 11 and then they split one in half and created 12. That system of where the sun travels for, that's That's self. It's not side real. So I've talked about this before, how we have, we have earth and then we have everything that's side real, everything that's outside of earth. And it is two different factors. There are two different Western Zodiac systems. There is the, the ego or self side, which is the position of the sun in correlation to the earth that's coming from us uh, from self. If I look out into the night sky and I see the sun or I'm sorry, look out into the world above the earth and see the sun. Where is the sun in relation to the constellations? Then there's also the side reel, which I don't specifically remember the name of, but it's also more Ayurvedic. Uh, The Hindus used it. Um, That is, has to correspond of where the earth is in its constellational representation due to, so there's multiple, you can have these different pieces, but let's just go back to the original one I was talking about, what we consider usually the Western Zodiac set. Well, in the Western Zodiac set, you have your sun sign and the sun sign again is in correlation to where is the sun during your birth in representation on angle to the earth. If we, if we draw a straight line, where does that line point into what constellation body is it in? If we separate the night sky into 12 constellations, then you have a moon sign. Where was the moon in definition to, if I draw a line from the earth to the moon, what constellation was it in? And then I have all of the actual side reel bodies themselves in correlation to where the earth was. If I draw lines to all the other planets, where are they in the constellational sets? Because the constellational sets are the side reel. That's what I was talking about when I was talking about the other, uh, the side reel constellation system and where the whole system is moving through as an actual like solar system. Moving in its constellational things, this is where we come up with all those different. Um, if you've heard the different quotes of different years, system times and things like that. That's two thousand one hundred sixty set the six thousand. Uh, uh, the I don't I don't remember all of them. I apologize. I think there's a twenty four thousand. There's hundred twenty eight thousand. There's a whole bunch. Of these breakdowns, but specifically the six thousand is what we use, and that's not. Don't quote that number. It's close enough. The 6,000-year process is going through all the different constellations because it takes 72,000 years to make one full revolution of the solar system through all of the constellational bodies. So, you have all of these different pieces. And in real astrology, which is the old ancient study of all this, those can all be used to give the person the self ego, maybe a better understanding or at least a way of thinking about things that might resonate a little bit better than just kind of being like, you're this or you're that. So when you look at your zodiac sign, it'll have traits. It'll have positive traits and negative traits. Most people only look at the positive traits, but it's a good thing to do to look at the negative traits. And you can look at your moon rising sign. You can look at your where Jupiter was. You can look at where Saturn was. You can look at where Mars was. And you can find out all these different pieces that might resonate with you. And that was the old study of self. And a lot of it was done more so on the negative side. You would teach someone their zodiac and constellational and their astrological information to predict what their downfalls could be. Remember, I talk about divination and when we talk about divination or to divine, to have forward thought, to be able to predict the future, we often do so in measurements of the past. Okay, all divinity is predictions of the future from the past. That's what divinity is. That's the idea of divining. You Nostradamus know, and all these things. The translation points there are terrible. You know, just look at the United States Constitution making sense of that in the language they used not very long ago to be honest in the if you look at it historically we can't even figure out what they were trying to say so if we look at that idea astrology which uses geometry and a bunch of other mathematical equations to figure out these things and again there's both side real and non-side real we in typical western society we use from the earth perspective perspective of I, perspective of self, that's the whole point, to give an understanding to the individual so that they can have a better understanding of themselves. It was the whole point of astrology. It was not to predict when you were going to find love or when you were going to have uh, you know, a, a bad day. That really wasn't the idea. The idea was to give a, a possible understanding of self or at least a place to start because that's the conversation I have the most. Actually, recently I had a very interesting conversation or a comment, at least from an individual where she said, you know, I, I talked about how I talk about self-awareness and I talk about mental health and sometimes I teach self-awareness and she caught me and she called me out on the idea that like, can you teach self-awareness? And I was like, wait a minute, I can't. I don't, I don't teach self-awareness. I teach the tools that can lead to self-awareness. I teach information that might lead to self-awareness, uh, an encyclopedia for y'all, a, a place to look for the information that might lead to self-awareness might not. One of those I use personally, and I've seen a lot of people use, but not a good understanding thereof is astrology because that's what astrology was there to do it was there to give a good understanding or a possible understanding of who you were. Every culture, has had some sort of thing that involved this. Some way of divining what a person might be like. or, And yeah, there's always that conversation of if you start off telling a child these things, maybe that's what they do grow into. But I find when people read their, you know, sun sign and they go, oh, I'm kind of like that, but I'm not kind of like that. But when you start adding in the other pieces, their moon sign, where was Mars and... Was this retrograde or that? And you give them an actual full picture, the full scope of real astrology. They go, huh? Okay. That's a little accurate. It's kind of close, but it also triggers something where they start to think like, Oh, you know what? I'm a little stubborn or, you know, I, I do have a pitfall of constantly needing like a, you know, physical stuff and things like that. That happens. And it starts to develop this conversation in their own minds, their own mind space, where self-awareness begins to take root. The study of self, the study of ego. And it's not egotistical because it's in the mind space. It is the ego. It is the ego. It is there. It is that space. So I think there are these tools that often get thrown to the side because there's not a, a greater understanding of it. And the conversation is typically the connotation of, remember, I hate connotations sometimes, most of the time. Of, oh, that's quackery. That's all BS. That's all metaphysics bullshit. That's all. No, astrology was, I'm going to hazard a, to say it, a full science defined how whole system involved. We just don't ever see the whole of it we only see one piece of it and that goes back to the breath go or douchebag thing of there was a bunch of people that just coerced it and 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 just just downgraded it into what we see of the Chinese fucking placemat the 12 animals and a little snippet of you might be like this or the Western zodiac sign of, you're just an Aquarius or you know no there's so much more to these things. And they're tools. They're not absolutes. In no way should you ever treat these as absolutes. You should never use them to make decisions whimsically. They're tools to better understand the situation, to better understand yourself. That is what they were used for. That's how they were defined. That's That was the whole reason they were created, was to have a tool of understanding. And Christianity threw all that out the window when it, fought against the pagans because these come from pagan understanding and pagan cultures and polytheistic cultures and other different cultures other than the Christian cultures. They threw it all out. They stole what they wanted and they said, no, 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 no. You are of God's will and you must exalt this God. And, you know, depending on the Abrahamic religion you believe in, I'm not, I shouldn't just call it Christianity, but it's only this one way. When in reality, they got all of that from those different teachings of divining in this form or that form. In the the North Germanic, you know, what we consider Viking, and I've had my conversation about how Viking's a verb. <laughs> and, you know, there are the Viking people, but they're North Germanic by nature and all the other different Sweden, all the other different cultures that were involved in that at the time. It was a much bigger space before it got broken up and unified. But those pagan individuals had, there was always a person in those cultures who was the spiritual leader. And that person typically casted runes. That was their way of divining. They would cast runes or they would read, um, I forget what the name of it is, but there is a divination method of reading the entrails of an animal after a kill or casting the bones, uh, which was usually the vertebral bones of either a human or another animal, and you would use different ones to do different things, to do these things known as divining, but it was just a tool. It was never taken specifically literally. There was always the decision of the self, the ego, it was in the mind space. It was just a way of understanding things you would go to the spiritual leader of the of the pagan community to get a better understanding of what was going on and that individual really was even almost more important than the chieftains and the you know the the leaders and that's where christianity realized oh ha-ha, there's these spiritual leaders and if we become the main body of the spiritual leaders Everyone will have to follow us. The Vatican requires the masses to believe that they have some higher understanding and that you should believe in it. And that's why the Pope should lead you and the Catholic Church should be right. That requires the the people to give away their ego, to give away their eye to the collective. And I've spoken about that before and it's not the right answer. They stole that from the idea that there was these pagan spiritual leaders that everyone in the community would go to including the chiefs in all the way down to the farmer to get a better understanding of self, a better understanding of what life's purpose was and what, and I'm not saying that religion's bad. Organized religion is bad when the individual gives themselves to the collective but doesn't retain themselves, retain their ego. That's bad. That's dangerous. And there was multiple different, things. You know, there's, there's extrasensory and intuition and there's tarot. I keep a tarot deck. Tarot by definition was a way of understanding a situation to give a perspective thereof. That's why there's the major arcana tarot by nature, the cards, the history is a little bit debated. If you want a pretty good understanding, you can look at the Rider weight, um, Understanding. Waite was uh, a, a, a philosophical writer who wrote, uh, actually Waite did a whole thing on Paracelsus, which was fantastic, but um, Waite gives a good understanding of where the, he believes the tarot, the cards used, come from. And that's up for debate. There's, there's a couple different understandings of where they come from, but there is a good understanding that in the French community, the 52 subcards, uh, you know, the four suits, which we, you know, we now call ace, spades, hearts, and, and clubs, are really the suits of uh, coins, swords, wands, and I always forget the third one, damn it. Um, but those make up the subset. That's one through, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, ace through, no. Yeah, no, ace is included. So one through um, Ten. And then we have, I'm sorry, one through nine, yeah, no, one through ten, and then we have uh, Jack, the Jack, Queen, King are in there too, but they have a better representation, but it gives us the 52 card deck. On top of that, inside of Tarot, we have the, the Arcana. So you have the Minor Arcana, and then you have the Major Arcana. The Minor Arcana are the Jack, King, Jack Queen, King, Ace. And then you have the, the Suits, which are just the one through ten, and then we have the major arcana and the major arcana is really the uh, what's debatable as the most important part of tarot because it gives, it gives definition. When a major arcana piece comes up, it's something to pay attention to. Not that the other ones aren't just as important, but it, it, it gives that defining piece and it is a way of divining. So is radiesthesia. So is, you know, pendulum dowsing. You know, you can, you know, use those things to, or what's known as dowsing. One of the original forms of that is what's known as water divining, which, you know, someone gets two copper rods or two sticks of a a specific shape to go look for underground water sources. These were all just tools. They weren't, no one has ever said that they're 100%. And anyone who does say that they're 100% accurate is lying. They don't understand that these are just ways to have a, better understanding of the translation in the mental space. And they explain what's known as intuition. Because if you've ever had a real reading from a, a general intuitive, which in some cases I, I can be, and I, I've experienced being a general intuitive, it's not something I practice all that much or am that great at, to be honest. But when you really have an experience with a general intuitive, someone just who's just in tune, has intuition, it's an interesting perspective that you may not have had to begin with. And even that individual say like, they're just, it's just their way. They're reading it the way they see it, but it's to get you to think. And I'm all about that. I'm all about getting people to think. So it's just another understanding an outside perspective to provide. It's a, it's a tool to be used to make decisions, to make choices. Remember choice begets change. And a choice is just a choice until it becomes finalized as a decision. And then those decisions, when correlated, beget the change we want. So they're just tools. They're tools to understand the self, tools to understand the ego. They're, and they're ancient, ancient ways of understanding. And we've lost that to a degree. But if you look at the Zodiac, and you know we talk about the 6,000-year cycles that make up the full 72,000-year cycle, or whatever you want to call it, 2160 for each there's a bunch of different ways to map it out. But inside of that, there's this idea that when we we work through these constellation pieces, side reel, not earth, but the whole system, the sun itself moving at, remember the sun drags us behind in a heliocentric orbit, which means if you have the sun, make a spiral behind that. That's the orbit of all the different planets. Each planet has a spiral behind the sun. It's not all that elongated, like it's not that very, you know, it's kind of far away, but not too far away, but the planets make spiral patterns behind the sun. And the sun is hurtling through space. Fucking flying. We are just space trash being drugged behind a giant comet, essentially. A giant flaming ball hurtling through this, you know, space at an, uh, a ridiculous speed. I don't know the actual speed of it, but like just so I think uh, I wish I had the exact numbers to give you an idea. And I might've given this example before, but I'll give it again. This, the earth spins on an axis. Okay. I guess this is our 24 hour day cycle. That axis spin is so fast that if the earth were to just stop spinning, you would travel the distance between the east coast of the United States of America and the west coast of the United States of America, roughly like thirty-two hundred or thirty-three hundred miles in the matter of like three seconds. And I think I think we're spinning at somewhere a like thousand and sixty-two miles a second or whatever. But also at the same time, we're travel we're spinning so fast that if we were to stop spinning abruptly. The crust of the earth would shear itself off so violently that large swaths of land would ch- shoot off into space so fast that it would take the atmosphere with it. You wouldn't really know anything happened other than the big bang and the horizon changing colors, but it would take the atmosphere with it that you actually wouldn't suffocate till like 30 some seconds afterwards that this whole chunk of land would just go flying off into space with you on it. And then eventually you would suffocate, but it happened so fast that you would just fly away. That's crazy speed. Multiply that just by 10 and it would be crazy. That's how fast the sun is just cruising through space. I don't don't even think 10 is enough. I think it's like a hundred or something. It's ridiculous. So, The sun is hurtling through space. You're space trash behind it on a little space. You're, I don't know, you're the eraser mark on the crumbled up piece of paper that is the earth in this analogy. And we're moving, moving through space. And that's our little solar system. And we're in a galaxy and that galaxy is doing its thing. But the solar system is moving. Our sun is moving through these zodiac signs in its own little spiral pattern, getting pulled behind whatever mass might be pulling us that we haven't figured out yet known as the Milky Way Galaxy. So, in that sign setup, the sun, again, moving, and it being, this is the side method, it's moving through its zodiac signs. So it itself has its own little z- sign things. And as of the recording of this episode, if we look at the an- charts of antiquity, they say the sun is moving out of the age of Pisces and moving into the age of Aquarius. That's at this this very time of this recording. That's specifically the, if we believe the whole mapped out charts, which is probably pretty close, we're coming out of the age of Pisces and we've probably actually, as a recording of this, we've probably already started to move into the age of Aquarius. We've actually probably, we probably left the age of Pisces behind and actually crossed over and moving into the age of Aquarius. What does that mean for a collectiveness? Well, the age of Pisces, the stereotypical idea given, the, the traits and ideas, the characteristics are of the school of fish. That's what Pisces represents. It's characteristics of the grand scheme is the school of fish who are the collective. And that's what we did for like, and the numbers given is like 2160, somewhere around there don't quote the years, it doesn't really matter. They're so big of numbers that give or take 20 or 30 years, it doesn't really matter. Give or take a lifetime, doesn't really matter. So that was the age of creating societies, building organizations, putting together civilization because there needed to be a collective idea and there needed to be fishies being led by the master fish which if you look at the whole idea of prophets in the Abrahamic religions, they are the leader of fishes, the shepherd of men, the fisher of men. These, these are the analogies given. This is why. There's, a, uh, there's actually a pagan god whose name I always forget, uh, but is the representation of the leader of the school of fish. And it's not um, Poseidon, but Poseidon was actually the god of antiquity known for his dealings with the Atlanteans. And that's another thing we can get into another time. I know everybody thinks I'm weird, but just go with it. So that specific idea is the school of fish. And the following of the collective, giving the self over to the school of fish, because if you don't, you might die. You might get picked off by the whale, you might get picked off by the shark, you might get picked off by the you know, the swordfish or the other, you know, fishy trying to eat you, those types of things. So you had to be a part of the school of fish for protection. We're moving out of that age into the age of Aquarius. And the age of Aquarius is represented by the characteristic of self, of knowledge, of individual thought. Of the individual, actually. And this is where a lot of people are talking about people waking up, people, you know, becoming conscious, becoming aware. But it's a dangerous time because you're getting a lot of these breathy guru douchebags coming back into the light, back into the fruition of, ooh, ooh, I can get the people. I can, I can, I can. They're trying to hold on to the old way. They're trying to hold on to the, please give me yourself, follow my system. Follow my practices. Follow me. Nope, it's not time for that anymore. That's that's the old age of Pisces. They're holding on to that, and it's a really dangerous time because that's what the governments are doing. That's what you know, politicians and the political powers and the and the the, the the social structures. That's what they want. This is the time for that. This is the time for the fight between those two su- those subjects. It's right at the changeover. And it's always been a warning. All of antiquity, all of the ancient texts, they warn about this time. It's happened time and time again that a writing about the changeover of ages warns about the change and what might happen. And the warning behind the change between the age of Pisces and the age of Aquarius, which is what I believe and a lot of others believe we're going through right now, is the time of self and ego. And to be aware of who you are, what you are, why you are. Remember, I don't like why questions, but it's it's a good subjective question. So ask it to yourself because it is subject. It's not objective, it's subjective. So that conversation is the dangerous thing to the school of fish, to the Pisces. They don't want that. Those holding on to the old ways... They don't want that to happen. They don't want you to have that conversation. They don't want to have the tools that might lead to a better understanding. They don't want you to look at the zodiac signs and it's astrology of the real in-depth, be it Western or Eastern, you know, the Eastern with its astrology and Western with its, you know, the real, the five element system, the hexagrams, the the Bagua, the Bajing, all of these things. They don't want you to look at that. They They don't want you to look at runes. They don't want you to look at tarot. They don't want you to look at other spiritual leaders. The world religions, the the deep rooted Abrahamic religions, have a very tough time with this time. It's it's not their time, and it's dangerous to them. And they may go to extremes to hold on to you, but you can't allow that to happen. I'm not saying it's not okay to be religious. Absolutely. Have faith. Don't have blind faith, but have faith. That's fine. If that's who you are, if that is what represents you, that's fine. But beware of organized religions because they want to give, they want the self. They want the ego. That's the whole idea of tithing in the Catholic Church. The whole idea of tithing is to support the system and to feel good about doing it, to give way your wages, to give way your earnings to the system, build the tithe, to build the pool. That's to give it away. It's give away self, give away ego, give it up. Don't be selfish. Don't be egotistical. But you have to remember that's a scale. It is possible to be egotistical and it is possible to be selfish, but it's not to say that you shouldn't be that sometimes. You just shouldn't be that all the time. Remember the world is seeking balance. The universe is seeking balance at all times without reservation always seeking balance, but it does it asymmetrically. The idea of duality is actually triality. Hell, the Christian religion teaches that. The three, God, the Holy Spirit, and, and Jesus Christ, that's that's what they teach. They teach the three, triality. They put it right in your face. And I'm not saying don't be Christian, don't be Muslim, don't be uh, Judaic, uh, Judaic, don't be, you know, Genistic, don't be. I'm not saying don't be any of these things. If It's about you. If it's what you believe, it's what you believe. But I want you to ask yourself: Is that you, the self, you, your ego, your ego, is that what it believes, or is it what the group believes? Because this is the dangerous changeover point. It's dangerous for everybody because you can lose yourself real easy. And it, as much as we need self-awareness at this time, we need self-understanding, we need to understand mental health, it's a dangerous time to do so because there's just so much in the churn, in the froth, in the, it's, there's so many things in the, in the system just churning up, churning up, that it can be a dangerous time. You can get lost again. That's, that's what all these texts warned about over time. That's what the tarot warns about, It's what the zodiac warns about, It's what the rune casting warns, they all warn about these things which is why they're tools to be used to get a better understanding, but not to be followed because their message is don't believe 100% in this. That's not the answer. That's what's known as blind faith and blind faith is dangerous. You may have faith, but not have blind faith because all those people say, take the leap of faith. You don't take a leap of faith without some direction. No one walks up to the cliff and goes, if I just jump off this cliff, there's gonna be oh there's gonna be buried treasure below it and I'm gonna land in a pool of water. That's blind faith and it leads to death more times than not. A leap of faith is really defined by the idea of I have a very good intuitional feeling, and I've done some research, and I really think if I if I go this direction, I'll find what I'm looking for. And then you go and try. That's a real true leap of faith. It's not a blind leap. It's a, it's a leap of faith. The faith is you've done the research. You've had the thought process. You've spent the time thinking about you've You've, you've correlated all these things together that you believe this is the right way to go. You've... You know, you've looked at the tarot, you look at the runes, that, that's the idea. Those are the things you would do before taking the leap of faith. You know, when the Vikings went and looked for new lands to vike, and they learned about the sunstone so that they could correlate, you know, the, if, if even if it was overcast, the cloudy skies, they'd use the sunstone to... Focus the sun's rays so that they'd be able to use the sextant and you know be able to figure out where their direction they were actually traveling. They had a good idea of what they were looking for, and the sunstone gave them the ability to go on the right path before they would just sail wildly and not know what direction. If they couldn't see the sun, they didn't know, or if they couldn't see the stars, they couldn't navigate. The sunstone gave them the ability to do that even during overcast and stormy skies. But before that, they'd be like, the currents all go this way. And, you know, they would stay on the coastline. And then they would see like, oh, why? Well, all right, well, the current changes here. And then they could, they could travel out a little bit and be like, oh, there's an island. Oh, there's a landmass. And then, you know, they had maps. And they would be like, oh, well, these people came from there. And they were able – they didn't just go sail in direction. Those people usually died. And most of the people in the village were like, oh, eh, well <laughs> – told you so that obviously you shouldn't have done that, but then they found mapping tools and other ways of sailing. And that has happened throughout history. And that's the idea of taking a leap of faith compared to taking a blind leap. And I don't suggest taking blind leaps. I do suggest on occasion when you've done all the things and you really feel like it, go ahead and take the leap of faith, but don't take my word for it. Figure it out for yourself. That's the whole point. That's the point of self. That's the point of ego. That's the point of magic by definition magic happens when we forget it doesn't magic works. Magic exists when we forget. It doesn't the old practices of magic are typically represented in today's day and age by things like Agrippa and all of these other writers who talk about ceremonial magic and ceremonial magic is typically back magic by definition and black magic was talked against in most cases, but true normal everyday magic, that the whole world grew up with, your ancestors grew up with, was basic practices of understanding the world and the situations we lived in and then to give us some hope or give us some direction to work on. You know, we use magical practices all the time. We just don't call them magical practices anymore because we've come up with better understandings of them so it's not really magical anymore because we don't need to have a leap of faith in it. We didn't know these things worked in the past. In the world of antiquity, we didn't know, you know, we didn't know these things specifically worked more times than not, so it was a leap of faith. We just had an understanding that, okay, this works usually, so I'm going to try it. It gives me direction. Now we use these things all the time. Journaling. Journaling is a magical practice. There's all sorts of them. Cursing, hexing, these types of things. To, To curse someone as a magical practice was to openly verbally express a curse upon them so that you were hoping that their mental state or others subconscious or consciousness would attach to that idea. You know, so if you were to curse someone in public in the town forum, if someone were to cast a curse on someone, It would make the rest of the people think like, oh, did they do something bad? Should I watch out for that person? Should I disassociate myself with that person? And then that person would suffer there from that. Same, uh, The differentiation between a curse and a hex is a curse you would do public with knowledge. A hex you would do privately and you would almost meditate on the idea of hexing someone. So there's that. There was witches' brews and witches' potions and those different things. Potions were um, droughts you would actually ingest. Whereas a witch's brew is something that what you would do specifically defined to cause an outcome. We do these things constantly. Nowadays we call it superstition. Superstition. That's, you know, sometimes we even call it OCD. A lot of people call these magical processes that we used to go about. We call them OCD. I got to do these, this, that, and that thing. And the outcome will be the same every time. Repetition, repetition over and over again. That has root and magical ideas. No, I'm not saying OCD is a magical malmutation. no. But we've we've come up with better understanding that the magical practice of antiquity are now kind of more normal. They're just normalized. But we don't see that in all aspects because we don't study how they came into you know fact by magical. Prayer by definition, specifically prayer, in a group setting is magical practice by definition. By definition, from pagan antiquity, the priesthood would come together to pray on or lay hands. That's another magical practice to lay hands. We we usually hear the word magic, and because of connotation, because of it's been coerced into the idea that it's this this weird, creepy thing. You know, witches and wizards, and you know, it's it's not great. You know, it's it's shady, and that's just not true. That's just not true. The witch of the society in antiquity was typically the holistic healer. You went to the witch because she had an understanding of herbs and spices and different things and, and maladies and, you know, they would do their best to help you. It wasn't some just crazy, you know, ugly lady in the woods with warts and trying to eat children. No, the witch was the spiritual leader slash herbal practitioner of the group that tried to help the populace in which she lived in. Because if she didn't, she'd be shunned and then sent off into the woods and she would die because she wouldn't have a way of sustaining herself unless she, you know, knew how to do everything on her own, which is possible, but probably not likely given how somehow we forgot. We used to live in some shit, man. We survived in hard conditions, Comparative to today technology and the, the world we live in now. Yes. I, you know, it's shitty sometimes I get it, but like we forget we didn't used to have cell phones. We didn't used to have the internet. We didn't used to have building technology to create houses cheaply readily overnight. We lived in huts made out of mud and sticks and animal pelts, we didn't usually have clothing. Textiles weren't a thing for a long time. We had just crappy clothing. So like winter weather could kill you. you. There would be times you just couldn't leave your house because if you did, if you left the warmth of the fire for more than 15, 20 minutes, you'd freeze to death because you didn't have the type of clothing to go out in that weather. We didn't have cars. We had horses, which we had to keep alive and that was time and effort to get anywhere where you had to walk. And again, if it was cold, you might freeze to death. And we had to hunt. No one, you know, farms existed, but like they weren't the share crop of everything for a while. When farming first started, it took a while for there to be a surplus. And then you had to like store these things. We didn't have refrigeration. We forget that we were able to survive during that. And during that survival, we used tools like the Zodiac, like tarot, like runes, other divination methods like radiesthesia and dowsing and just having a general intuitive in the, in the society, having a a general health practitioner who had an understanding of herbology and, and herbs and how it corresponded with nutrition and different signs of ailment, you know, medical practitioners who really weren't doctors just had a, that's what their life work was, was to understand these things to all the way down to just the, the farmer, who had an idea of an understanding of astrology and knew when the equinoxes were because they knew if i plant now i'll be able to harvest this time and if i don't get the plant if i don't get the seeds in the ground by this time they'll die and they won't grow ancient farmers had to have a full knowledge of astrology in order to give themselves the cycles of the solstices in which to grow certain products so that society could create itself, could become a thing. That was all a tool of astrology, a tool of the cycles of, it's it's the idea of these cycles. And that all came down to self, and that all came down to ego, and there's a great understanding of antiquity, in antiquity, of the individual. And yes, we had to give that up for a while to the collective so that we could build these amazing things that we've built but we've gone too far and it's time to take back the self, take back the ego, get a better understanding of yourself, how your mind works, where your mind space is, where that translation point is, how it works. And one way we can do that is by the study of self and the study of, you know, mental health or ego of that incorporated piece of the differentiation between the collective of the body all these cells and bacteria and organisms that make up the physical form, and the things we don't understand, the 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 ethereal divination, divine, magical, all the other things. That we don't we don't quite know all the metaphysics and you know all that. But we that happens in the mind, happens in the ego. So it's okay to be egotistical sometimes. It's okay to be selfish sometimes. We just need to keep it in check. Like all things need to find balance. That's the, the universe is constantly without reservation, trying to find balance, does it asymmetrically. So I don't think it's wrong for people to use tools like I've listed or have an understanding of, you know, trying to get back to their roots of what is the culture they come from? What is their heritage and these types of things? I think those are tools to be used, but we have to, again, create balance. We have to understand, okay, if I'm going to study myself and I'm going to use the Zodiac, I have to take the time and take the make the effort to understand what that means. Well, it's not just this, like, it's not, again, it's not just the little Chinese mat, place mat with the 12 animals and a little snippet. No, it's much more than that. Your birth year comes with uh, an animal sign and it comes with a an element of the you know five element system that has its own traits, both positive and negative, which is actually why I like to eliminate connotation on things because all of these systems in antiquity come with both sides. There's never a singly positive or a singly negative sign. They always try to bounce themselves out because it warns against, hey, you might be prone to being an asshole. Stop, don't do that. Don't allow that to happen. Keep that in check. It warns against these things. you know. Or if it's the eastern sign with astrology and, you know, the sun sign, the moon sign, where was your Mars rising? Where was your Venus at? Where was, you know, or go back to the Druidic faiths of, you know, what was your uh, ruling tree? Fascinating thing a lot of people don't know about is in the Druidic faith, uh, specifically in, in Scotland and Ireland, they have what's known as the ruling tree or what tree you came from. Your, your birth year has to do with what tree you were ruled by there's a lot you know there's the Alder tree and the oak and the, the spruce and the the tree would give and this part of the Druidic faith was your tree provided your root of your system and your family because they believed that all these they believed that the forest all of the trees of the forest communicated with each other and that the different individual trees themselves the um, gene- genesis the uh, genetics of the tree spruce alder oak pine maple those root systems are of one they, they they're all one gen i call it genesis because they all come from one seed one one idea so all all alder trees all spruce trees all pine trees all maple trees are all from the one genesis the one gene and that creates your 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 family of system in the druidic faith and that if you it was very common in the druidic faiths that you would to be a true druid you were a, not of the collective you weren't of a family unit you were a druid of druidic nature and that was a specific idea in the druidic faith that they there, there was typically only one true druid in the ancient mystery schools, per group of people, so if you were if you were to be initiated into the Druidic faiths, you didn't typically stay with your family and your your that group. You would get supplanted into another one, or you would break off and create a new group because that was the way of survival. And there were, you know, as, as things grew bigger, um the druidic orders started to get a little bit multifaceted and I don't have the necessary full history to give you on all of that, but there was a specific idea of the Ego in the druidic face. And and again, that had to do with their birth trees and that, how that specified itself. So they, they would be able to supplant an individual druid into the collectives to help lead them as their spiritual advisor, spiritual leader, but to do so that, so that that individual fit that collective and then would be able to report back to the Druid order itself. And that order was multifaceted and typically represented uh, by threes. So you would have three of each. Again, it gets super complicated, but there's always prime numbers involved. So, yes, there are all of these tools and there's the three health bodies and dualism is actually triality and it all comes back to self and ego and it's time that we not we don't need to destroy civilization we don't need to destroy the collective that's not the answer we do need to act individually though and we need to better understand self and ego and that yes we should we should not allow ourselves to be egotistical and selfish all the time but it's okay to be egotistical and selfish some of the time. It's totally okay to want to shut out the world for a little while and just go, you know, be like, I'm going to put on my comfy clothes and I'm going to make or order my favorite meal and I'm going to watch my favorite movie or listen to my favorite music and, you know, I'm I'm just going to be, I'm just going to chill and do me. That's totally okay. Doing that all the time, it depends, you know, I'll give my little personal example as a wrap up here. I spent a really long time being what most people would consider selfless and humble and all that time. And it's not to say that I, I do really bad with people complimenting me or, or associating me with certain traits. I never saw it that way. I spent time from the point in which I was what would be considered homeless. I don't consider it homeless because I was living out of my car. I had somewhere to sleep, unlike some others. But I spent between that point in time until very recently where I bought my own home working. Just, I went to work. Sometimes 70 hours a week, sometimes 80 hours a week. I just went to work. I just, I, I worked and I made money. I paid my bills. I saved what I could. I paid off debt. I just, I worked. I was just a workaholic. I still am kind of a workaholic. I just worked. And in doing so, I gave up nearly everything that made me me. I gave up my interests all the way down to the point where I stopped going to a martial arts class. When I, even though I had, had already changed over to specifically being a martialist, I gave up one of my great enjoyments, which was to go to a martial arts class. One because sometimes it cost too much money and I couldn't afford it, and two it cost too much time and I, I didn't have the time to put into the class because I could do these practices on my own. That was the definition of becoming a martialist compared to a martial artist. I could just practice my own ways and methods of things. I had to give that up. I gave up my likes of things I like to go out and do. I, I gave up social interaction in some cases, not just because well, I'm not very social to begin with, but because social interactions typically cost money and I, I couldn't afford that. I needed to, to work and to pay and, and to, to, to build a, a stability so that I could find a home. And and then when I had a a place to rent so that I could find maybe a better, more secure place because I I lived in some shoddy locations and with some shoddy shoddy situations and to build some stability there and then to, you know, to have stability of financial nature because part of that's a huge part of mental health that I'll have to get into at some point to have, you know, financial stability so that you can not have to worry about eating, not you don't have to worry about ordering well, being able to afford groceries, you know, which is why I worked in a restaurant a lot because you get free meals in restaurants and not have to worry about buying groceries. But I spent a lot of time doing that. And thus I gave up a lot of myself and a lot of my ego and people consider that to be selfish. And they consider that to be humble when, you know, somebody be like, Hey, can you cover my shift? And I'd be like, yeah. When in reality, some of that was actually selfish but in the same vein of that, I spent a lot of time giving up all of the things that I liked, and I lost myself to this idea of just being the person who's responsible and works. And I'm not saying that's a bad person to be, but at some point, I had to sit down and have a discussion with myself of, dude, you gave up everything and anything that you enjoyed that was what you liked, that is what you were, of who you were. What do you have left? And I had to realize, oh shit, I have to work on my ego, myself. I have to learn to be selfish. I have to learn to have an ego moment, to be like, hey, I'm doing this. And the weird part about it is in some cases, it's the same. So some people give me shit that, oh, you were just being selfish the whole time or you know, you haven't changed in any way. Because of the fact that I like my own personal me time alone because I'm not a very social person in that regard because I spent a lot of time having to be social. From, If you work a 16-hour day, you're around people constantly. And when part of that day is being a bouncer at night in very vibrant social bars that like had a bunch of people and loud music and all that crap, it exhausts you as someone who likes to spend their own time alone. So whereas I used to not be involved in social friend interaction zones because I was working too much and didn't have the time to do that, now, to be selfish, I often don't go to social events. And there is no differentiation there to the outside view. And I get it. So I, if someone gets mad at me for not wanting to be involved, not and really not wanting to go out, I get it. But it is me being selfish. It is me having that ego moment, having that selfish moment of being like, dude, I just need to sit in the home that I spent years busting my ass to afford and watch one of my favorite movies or genres of something or, you know, to watch this or watch that and just eat a meal I got to cook in my house. Like that's me time, but that doesn't look any different than, Hey man, I can't come because like, you know, I got to work now. It's just, I can't come because I don't want to but still, I can't come. I, I don't want to go. Like, I'm not going to go. So I, you know, there is a factor to that you have to become comfortable with when you're going to do this in-depth look at yourself, that this idea of selfishness and egotisticalness are an outside perspective in most cases that you, you can't give too much weight to. Because really going in-depth to who you are is a personal matter. It's a personal time thing. It doesn't involve others in most cases. So there is going to be pushback, or there is going to be these outside perspectives, and that is the differentiation of the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius and what all of antiquity is warned about in old literature and predictions, and where... The tools of the zodiac and tarot and runes and divination and astrology and horoscopes and those types of things come into because it helps give a little bit of a direction so that the blind leaps of faith aren't blind or are just leaps of faith because a blind leap is a is a bad idea a, a leap of faith though can lead, you know, can be correct, can be in the right direction. But these tools can be used to help get through that tough, non-understanding, very tough, just generally bleh period of the initial steps to working on consciousness, working on self-awareness, working on waking up, we're working on being aware. It can help with those things. So I think that's the idea of self. That's the idea of ego. It must not be eliminated. Alan Watts, the most egotistical thing you can do is try to eliminate your ego. Don't do that. Try to understand it. Really try to focus on it and and get a better understanding. And feel free to use tools to do that. Just know that those tools aren't
1: 100%
0: accurate. They're just to give direction. They're just to give a different perspective or way of thinking of it. We pay counselors and psychologists to do that. We go out with friends to get those perspectives. We have close circles of people we trust for that fact, but not everyone has that so there are all these 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 tools out there, and not everyone has the ability to have maybe these you know very serious conversations with some other people. There's not many people I would trust to have conversations yeah there's just there's not a very big list of people I would trust to have the conversations on the deep-rooted psychological pieces of myself. In fact, there are some cases of my psyche, of my ego, of myself, that I would never discuss with someone else because it is so personal to me, but I need to understand it and I need to have an awareness of it, so I use these tools to better grasp that idea. And then also in the same light, there are some things that people would rather discuss with people they know not at all such as a psychologist or a, a counselor and that you can get some modicum of trust because you understand that they will not discuss this or have no link to your real social life that they would not discuss with anyone that would matter or no, you can find that maybe in the general intuitive or the intuitive healer or the holistic healer or those types of things. So these are all tools from antiquity and ideas from the past that I think we should become more aware of now. And we've taught about this forever, that there is the self, there is the ego. And I'm saying it's time to study it and time to focus on it and find ways to understand it because it's possible and you can do that. And, and it, it gives a clarity of sorts that is nearly unattainable in anything else we do. Imagine having an understanding of the translation dictionary between two languages. Imagine Mm -hmm. having that understanding. Not of, not being able to translate, not knowing one language and knowing another language, knowing the translation piece. Like having an understanding of that, having an understanding of translation, of understanding. That is the art of self, of ego, to understand one's own ego, one's own I, allows one to be egotistical. I argue that those individuals who are constantly like, I do this and I do that, they come across as egotistical, know very little about themselves. Thus, they are not ego. They are tempting to be separate. That is a cry of, I don't know who I am. I think I do, but I don't, it's, it's very easy to spot those people. And in fact, this may sound negative to some, but I'll leave you with this in the end because I think it gives a correlation to self and ego and thought and and the translation of the mind between the physical and the, the other. I never trust anyone who is constantly seeking my praise or my pity. If someone is constantly seeking praise or pity, don't trust them. Because they only care about themselves. But they don't understand themselves at all. It's a correlation to it. An individual who is constantly seeking your pity means they have no self-idea. They have no self-worth or self-awareness or self-perspective. They want you to create it for them. They want your pity to give them self, to give them ego. They wanna build themselves upon you and what you give to them, your energy, your pity. And if someone's constantly seeking your praise, it's very similar but on the other side. They want to build you into them. They, they want you to think you, you should be like them, to, that's that's the praise piece. Oh, praise me because I am better than you. Yes, become like me. But in the same vein, they don't understand anything about themselves because they aren't anything. Because they're relying upon you to create that. So they've given up their self. They've given up their ego. They've given up their I. So never trust anyone who's constantly seeking your praise or your pity. And if you're the type of person who's always seeking praise or pity probably time you uh, you look at who you are because you don't know. That's okay. I'm always here to say that that's okay. It's okay not to know. It's not okay now knowing that to not try to understand yourself. That's the differentiation between willful ignorance and ignorance. It's never okay to be willfully ignorant. It's okay to be ignorant. If you just don't know, you don't know. But once you find out that there is something else, that there is an option or there is a a piece of information you can go seek out, you can go find, you can go learn. You still want to be ignorant? Nope. That's not okay. So please go, go look at something that maybe you wouldn't look at. Or if you are someone who are into all these things, go look deeper. You know, if you didn't know that there's a sun sign and a moon sign and there's, if you knew that maybe, okay, you knew the second, what's the rest? What's the rest of the, go delve into those things. If you're already into it, delve deeper always delve deeper. Oh, there's always more. There's always more. Go dive deeper. That's that leap of faith, you know, take the deeper dive, go look further. You know, if you're really into into fitness, if you're really into nutrition and those things, dive deeper, find out more macros and micros and, 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 you know, optimal times for taking supplementation, optimal supplementation, um, you know, different correlations of, you know, how to, lower inflammation in the body that it can affect all these other different things. Dive deeper, learn more. You know, if you're really into... I don't know, other practice, music, you know, learn more, learn a different instrument, learn another instrument, learn, you know, musical, like deeper musical theory, get into octaves and learning how octaves patternings and 432 hertz frequency tuning compared to 430 hertz in today's modern music, how, why classical music is far more moving to us than, than today's like crap music. Um, not all music is crap, but you, those types of things, there's, there's always more, there's always a deeper dive. So go do it. If you're into extrasensory stuff, if you're into you know, start keeping a, G, a dream journal and maybe look into astral projection and and uh, lucid dreaming and then those types of things. If you're into into divination, if you're if you're really into religion, if you're super into your religion, find out more about it. I'm not saying to do that just because I think you'll you know you'll get away from it. No, find out more about it. Dig deeper. What's the you know what's the real root who are these who were these writers who why did they write this way why did they think this like how did they come up with this conclusion from this piece are there texts that i haven't read yet what's the corresponding nature to this book to that like there's always more dive deeper don't just don't just do the surface stuff that's, it's not the age and time for that. It's, it's the age and time for self and ego and, and to really grasp onto that. If you're super into something, I'm here to tell you to get even more into it. And that's totally okay. Fuck society. If they don't think it, that's okay. All right. Gary Vaynerchuk, there's not enough content for everybody. There can always be more. If you're super into anime, go deep find more. If you're super into sports, go deep, find more. If you're super into nutrition, into fitness, as long as what you're doing isn't hurting someone else, go for it. That's really that's really the major rule. That is the differentiation between egotistical, psychological, psychopathic nature and just being a little selfish and just having a little bit of an ego. Is Are you hurting someone else? Because if not, go deeper. Do you. I'm going to do me. You do you. They're going to do them. and We're all just going to be. So I'll leave you with that. Have a, have a great day. Great night. Whenever, you know, you're listening to this and uh, I'll see you on the next one. Remember to go check out takingindresses.com. Check out the archive. There's a bunch of stuff in there. We're always kind of trying to update it and put new stuff in there. And uh, yeah, I'll see you on the next one. Remember in the outro, just remember to breathe. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. But go be awesome. And just remember to breathe. Thank you.